All right, as you have a seat, take a Bible and turn to Romans. Romans chapter 1, uh, we'll begin in just a moment in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. We're going to look at several passages in the book of Romans. And so you really need to have a Bible handy with you. If you don't have a Bible with you, the good news is right there in front of you in the seat before you in the book rack. There should be a copy of the Bible. Grab that and find the book of Romans. It's real easy to find. Just goes to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then you'll come to Romans, this letter that Paul wrote. And so find Romans chapter 1. We'll be getting in verse 18 in just a moment. And, and so as you're finding that, um, I, I hope that you are ready to hear from God this morning. And I hope that you are anticipating how he's going to speak to you this morning through his word. It's been an interesting year, uh, just lots of different things going on in our country, in our world. And I don't know how much you've kept up with different things going on in the world. Uh, but, but one uh, news a piece of information that came across last month is there was a young man. You might remember this story. You might have heard his name, Jason Allen Chu. He, he was a young man, 26 years old, who was a missionary, and he wanted to reach one of those groups that has been unreached. In fact, the group he wanted to reach was uh, the group that's known as the Sentinel People. You might have read this story or heard this story. And this was a tribe, or this is a tribe, that, that by and large has been untouched completely by civilization. They're very primitive. In some ways, it's like stepping back to the Stone Age with this particular tribe. They're also a very hostile tribe. In fact, this tribe that is located on an island right off the coast of India, uh, it is illegal to make contact with this tribe because of lots of different reasons. Uh, but but they, they're known as a very vicious type tribe. But this young man, this 26-year-old man, wanted to reach this particular tribe with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he hired a, a boat to, to take him on out there. And long story short, you can read all the details online if you're interested in the story. But long story short, he knew that there was the possibility that if he were to go to reach this tribe, that he would lose his life trying to share the gospel with this tribe. And that's exactly what happened. He went to share the gospel with this tribe, and, and almost as soon as he got there, uh, he lost his life. They murdered him. And it's a heartbreaking story. And, and I remember as I began to hear the story and read it online, uh, there was just a, a firestorm of controversy that began to surround what took place. And so you, you began to hear all kinds of things. On, on the one hand, people applauded him applauded him for wanting to take the gospel to this people who were savages, who had no access to the gospel. On the other hand, he was greatly criticized. I mean, just wasn't wise. What was he thinking to put himself in that situation where he could harm himself and also harm others? And so there was this firestorm of controversy. Did he do the right thing? Did he not do the right thing? And, and I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, it's not for me to judge if his decision was right or wrong. But here's why I do know. That over the next couple of days, you're going to have tremendous opportunity. You are going to sit around a table. You're going to sit on a couch in a living room. You're going to be surrounded by friends and family. And if you're like me, you have friends and family members who are far away from Jesus Christ, who do not have a relationship with the God who loves them. And, and over this Christmas, as you sit around a table or as you sit in a living room and you're with friends and family, the chances are many of us will not even open our mouths about the God who came to save. And, and while we might sit back and criticize someone like, you know, John Allen Chu, who, who went to this crazy place and gave his life in a really hopeless situation, and while we might say that's wise or unwise, 
At least he had the passion to do something. At least he had the passion to open his mouth. And here we are in, in the safety of the states, in the safety of our own families, in the safety of our own areas, but still are hesitant to talk about the one who has radically changed us. And, and the reality is you know this. You know this. On that first Christmas night, when the skies opened up and the angels pronounced the birth of the Savior, the angels said to the shepherds, there's good news of great joy for all people. But you know this. It's only good news of great joy for all people if all people hear it. And here in our own community, here in our own families, there are people in our own families who've never really heard the gospel. Sure, they've been to church. Sure, they've been around the church. Sure, they know you're a Christian, but they never really heard what Jesus Christ has done for them. And the Christmas message is only good news for them if they hear it. The angel said, peace on earth. There's only peace on earth as people realize that there's hope in a Savior. And in this room, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to him, you have a story. You have a story of how Christ has changed you. You have a story of how your life was interrupted by the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has given you a story to share your story. Over this last month, We've talked about different gifts that God has given us. We've talked about how, how God has given us the gift of time to use for his kingdom and his glory. We've talked about the gift of talents and abilities that God has uniquely and spiritually gifted us for his work in his kingdom. We've talked about the gift of treasures, how he has financially resourced us for the work of his kingdom. We've talked about these gifts that God has given us to give away to give away for the purpose of his kingdom and the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we end up this series on the gifts that God has given us, I want to talk to you about the gift of your testimony, that God has given you a story to share. He has changed your life so that through you, through your story, through the way that he has changed you, he has changed your life so that through you, he might change the life of somebody else. And so what I want to do this morning, I, I want to talk to you. I want to give you just, uh, just some truths, some truths about why, why we share our story, why it's so significant that we be a people on mission. So take your Bibles, Romans chapter 1. Let's start there. Go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This is what the Bible says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's a great way to start a Christmas message, isn't it? For what we can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie 
and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. And I thank you in this room are so many people who have a story, a testimony of how your grace has radically changed their lives. You've given us a story to share, a story to to, uh, be used to provide hope for people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's some of us this morning in this room who don't have a story of your grace. We've never responded to the truth of the gospel. And so I pray today that you give us a story. that We might know today that there is one who came to rescue us from sin and give us new life. So Father, in these moments, help us to listen attentively and help us to respond to whatever it is you say to us in full obedience and surrender. And ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. And you, you know who the Apostle Paul was. If you've been around church for a while, you, you've heard us talk about Paul before. And, and you know that Paul wasn't one of the original apostles of Jesus. He wasn't one of the 12. But Jesus Christ appeared to him. Uh, for, for a lot of his adult life, Paul had spent his days persecuting Christians. But on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ where Jesus forever changed his life. And Jesus made him an apostle and Jesus gave him a mission to take the good news of Jesus as far as he could across the world. And so that's what Paul did. And, and, and so as you read the book of Acts, for example, you begin to read uh, these stories of how Paul traveled all over Asia Minor sharing the good news of Jesus. And you can also imagine the things that Paul experienced, right? As he visited places like Corinth or Ephesus or Thessalonica, What Paul saw day in and day out as he traveled across the world, he saw the worst of it. He saw darkness. He saw lostness. He saw people who had no hope as he would come to a city like Corinth. He would enter in and he would see these magnificent temples built to idols, to false gods. As he came to places like Ephesus, he would see Young women offer themselves up as cult prostitutes. He would see men come to worship these false gods in pure drunkenness. What Paul saw day in and day out were people without hope, people turning to idolatry, people turning to false gods, trying to find hope and trying to find satisfaction. Paul saw the worst of this world and knew that there was something better for people. And so he gave his life to share this good news. And and in fact, when he writes to this church at Rome, he has his eyes on Spain. He wants to take the gospel, the good news, even further than he's been. And he wants Rome to help him along the way by raising a love offering to support him on his missionary journey. But Paul, through his travels, he had seen it all. And I can imagine, I don't know, I wasn't there, but, but, but as this letter is being written, as these words we just read are being composed, I can imagine... Tears just streaming down the cheeks of the Apostle Paul because he knew, he saw it firsthand. He saw firsthand what was going wrong with this world. And I I can imagine, and this is my paraphrase, I'm paraphrasing what Paul wrote here, I know that. But, But as he's writing, he's thinking, right? I just don't get it. I don't understand why people would turn to idolatry why people would worship things that they created with their own hands, right? 
These statues carved out of stone and wood, it makes no sense to me because if you would just walk outside and would look and see the beauty of creation, magnificent trees, beautiful mountains, the glory of a sunset or a sunrise, the the glow of the moon in the evening, if you would just walk outside and look, the only conclusion you could come to is that there must be a God. There must be someone, something that made all of this, right? I mean, that's the only logical conclusion that you can come to. If you would just walk outside and open your eyes, how can you be so blind not to see that there is a creator God who is worthy of worship, who you should give thanks to because he made you? But what Paul says Nobody does that. Paul says he, he's made it so obvious. God has made himself known, but no one seeks him, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. No one looks for him. Instead of seeking this God who's made himself known, Paul says in what we just read, instead, everyone suppresses the truth about God. No one acknowledges him. And instead, every person on the face of the planet, and this includes you and me, every person on the face of the planet, even though we know, even though we can walk outside and see, yep, there must be a God. Every single one of us, we have turned to idolatry. Paul knew that. He knew the story of his own nation. He knew how God had had called his people out of Egypt and was taking them to a promised land and giving them laws and expectations. And he knew how his own people built a golden calf after God had brought them through the Red Sea. And he knew from his travels now, as he saw temples built to foreign and false gods, he knew that every person turned to idolatry and it made no sense to him. And I know here in this room, we're a sophisticated people. We're intellectuals. We don't build idols out of stone. We don't carve idols out of wood and bow down and worship them. But we've all turned to idolatry, have we not? Because really at the heart of idolatry is an attitude that says, I love this or I love that more than I love the God of all creation. And so we've turned to to good things and we've made them idols. For example, we take our jobs We just love how our job fulfills us and our our job, our career becomes more important to us than the God of all creation or our our families, which is a good thing. We, We turn to our families and we love our family and we're more devoted to our family than the God of all creation or a hobby or a sport or whatever the case may be. An idol is anything that you elevate in your life above God himself. And what Paul says here in Romans 1 is that we've all done it. Every single one of us. We don't acknowledge God. We don't honor God. We honor the things of this earth instead. And what Paul says is because of that, we're all without excuse. In fact, let me show you. What Paul says is is, um, we share our story because countless people will get what they deserve. He says we are out excuse, right? Every person is going to stand before God. Now watch this, watch this. Every person is going to stand before God condemned. You understand? Because every person has not acknowledged God as Lord, but turned from God. 
and given their affections, their devotion, their attention to things other than God. And so we all stand before God condemned because no one is righteous. Look at what the passage says. You come down in Romans 1 to verse 28, for example. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And that sounds really good, right? What Paul's doing here, he's describing every single one of us. This is who we all are. And if we all stand before God based on what we've done, Every single one of us are condemned. And so for those of us who've placed our faith in Jesus, right? For those of us who've given our lives to him, we share our story. We share the hope of Christ because we know, we know that every single person on the face of the planet will stand before God condemned. You can begin to understand now why someone like John Allen Chu would go to a horrific, hard people Because he knew, he knew they would stand before God condemned. You can understand why across this world through our Southern Baptist Convention, we have, what, three or 4,000 missionaries who've given their lives to take the gospel to hard to reach places because they know, they know that every person on the face of the planet who does not accept Christ will stand before God condemned. When I began going to Russia years ago, when we first started going, we, we were doing these concerts in these different villages. We'd go do a musical concert, and then after that concert, we would share the gospel. And it was a lot of fun, and we had lots of great opportunities and lots of conversations and saw people come to faith in Christ. But, but, but because of, of Russia and their history with communism and, and religious oppression, when we would go into these towns, we would have to go into uh, the town official's office and ask for permission to share. In fact, I've got a picture. When we were in, this was probably nine or 10 years ago, and uh, I look just as good now as I did back then, but that's another story for another day. And so, so this guy right back here, uh, he was the head of the town. I don't know what they call the guy, but it would be like the mayor or whatever the case may be. He was the, the head local official. Uh, this was Pastor Nikolai that we worked with and our IMB missionary that we were working with at the time. But here we were, and we were talking about this concert that we were going to do uh, in a couple of days. We were asking his permission to be able to do it in the city. And in that particular area where we were going to to share, there weren't Christians. There might have been a handful, three, four, five believers, but there wasn't a church or anything like that. This was an area, and it blew my mind, that was absolutely unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every person in that town, unless they heard the gospel and responded, would stand before God condemned. And so there we were talking with this gentleman, and, and I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. And through a translator, I shared the gospel and how Jesus Christ died for him and rose again for him. And as I was looking in his eyes, I could tell it was completely foreign. It was the first time in his life that he had ever heard about Jesus and what Jesus Christ had done for him. And I would love to say that, that he trusted Christ and became a believer. I don't know how God worked in his life past then, but, but I've often wondered if he ever had another opportunity to hear if anybody else came along and shared with this gentleman the hope of Jesus, do you, do you see what I'm saying? He's just one of countless people all across this world who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if they don't hear it, 
and respond to it in faith. We'll spend eternity apart from Christ. And I know what you're thinking, that's across the world, but, but listen, right here in your family, you might not believe this, but it's true. You have family members that will stand before Christ condemned because you have family members who've rejected God and turned from him and worship everything but God. And they don't understand the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And so you and I, we share our story because we know. We share our story because we know countless people will stand before a holy God condemned. But we also know the good news and why we share our story. Think about this. Share your story because God has provided one way of reconciliation. Let me show you something. You have Romans 1 where Paul talks about how we've all turned to idolatry. We are all unrighteous. But then you come to Romans chapter 3 in verse 24 and 25. And, and these verses really are the essence of the Christmas story, right? Look at what it says. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. You know this verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now listen to verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now stop right there. Because in, in these couple of verses, I mean, Paul just really blows it up as far as theological significance. He gives us some big words that you and I have to understand so we can know what Christ has done for us, this gift that God has given us, this Christmas gift that we've received by faith. You might want to underline these four words. The first one is justified. Now, we've talked about this word before. I know for those of you who are, are, are here often, we've talked about what justified means, but, but let me just explain it to you again. Imagine being in a courtroom and you're the defendant on trial. And based on what we just read in Romans chapter one, you know it. You know you're guilty. You know you have been a slanderer. You know you've been a liar. You know you've been a thief. You know you've rebelled against the God of all creation. And here you are in God's courtroom and God is the holy judge. And you know it, you're guilty. You know what you deserve as an eternity apart from him. But in that same courtroom is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who says to the Father, instead of punishing them, punish me. I will die. I will take their place. I will be the one who pays for their sin. And that's exactly what happened. You were guilty. But Jesus Christ, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He went to a cross in our place and died and took the punishment that you deserved for your sin. He got what you deserve so you could get what he deserves, right? Justified. Now, God looks at you and me because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. If we trust him by faith, God looks at me and, and that word justified, I mean, it, it carries with the connotation of being declared innocent. You're not innocent. You know it. But when God looks at you through the eyes of your faith, he declares you something that you're not. Based on what Christ has done for you, God calls you innocent. And, 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 and what Christ has done is credited to your account. You get his righteous life applied to yours. You get the riches of heaven applied to your account. What belongs to Christ is applied to you. Isn't that good? That's justification. 
God treating you as if it never happened. When Stacey and I got married, um, we had to handle our money a little bit differently before we got married. I, I was uh, in seminary, so I was paying for seminary. I, I owned a house, so I was paying for a house. And, and, and so, so my bank account, like, it, it didn't have anything in it. Like, it was, I was, like most people in their mid to late 20s, I, I was living paycheck to paycheck, just trying to get ahead. In fact, in fact, and Stacy might not know this, when we started dating, I would call my parents from time to time and say, can you send me some money so I can take out this girl? And they would. So, so uh, Stacy, my parents paid for our dates. But anyway, that's another story, too. And, and so, so, so... Anyway, I, I just didn't have a lot of money. I wasn't making much. I was trying to get, get by. And so when, when we got married, Stacy had lots of money. I mean, for whatever reason, over the course of her working career, uh, she was very wise and, and saved all kinds of money. I mean, she was close to a millionaire and, and all those kinds of things. And, and so she had a lot of money in her bank account. And so, and so we were committed. We were committed when we got married to, to join our accounts together, Right. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 I remember it very vividly because because I had a savings account. It might have ten dollars in it, but I had one, right? And and at that time, my savings account was bearing more interest on ten dollars than 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 hers was. And so, the wise thing to do was to transfer all of her money from her account into my account. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. We were in my house in Pontchartrain, Louisiana, and we were about to make the phone call to the bank to make the transfer, transferring all of her money into my bank account. She cried and cried and cried and cried. I tried to comfort her, but on the inside, I was cheering because what was about to happen, as I made that phone call, I was about to become a rich man, right? I was about to get wealth that I didn't work for, that I didn't earn. I mean, she was the one working 40 and 50 hours a week for this, not me, but, but in the matter of a phone call. It was mine, in my account, and I have managed it well since, right? And so all that to say, man, what I did not earn was given to me. And what you did not earn was given to you by your Lord Jesus Christ when he died on the cross and rose again. You've been declared righteous, but, but, but just we gotta move, right? Justification, but not only justification, look what else he says. You've been redeemed. What Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, is that you are a slave to sin. In 1 John, the apostle John talks about how the enemy controlled you. But Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, Mark 10, 45, says that he paid the ransom for your sins. You see that the idea is that you've been bought out of sin and slavery. You're no longer a slave to sin any longer. And that's good news. I know I know that you still sin. I know that I still sin. But listen, it is not your master anymore. You can choose to walk by faith, by the power of the Spirit. You can choose to put sin to death because the Spirit lives in you. Do you see? It's not your master. You've been redeemed. And then you have this idea of propitiation. I know last week you used that word 10 times, right? Propitiation. The idea is simply this, that God is a just God. And your sin is an affront, an attack on a holy and just God. And, and because God is just, he couldn't simply just sweep your sin under the rug and pretend like it never happened. No, justice had to be paid. And at the cross, when Jesus died, justice was paid. Justice was satisfied, you see. We're justified. We're redeemed. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. And, and, and we've experienced salvation because of propitiation, you see? And then that, that word that you know well, grace. Let's be honest. That's what we all want. 
This idea of God giving us what we do not deserve, unearned, something you can't work for because you know it. If you're a believer in this room, you know it. You know you couldn't work your way to heaven. You wanted grace. And if you're not a believer in this room, you know it too. You know you want grace because you know at the end of the day, you know intuitively, you know instinctively, you know something's wrong with you. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's true. You know you need some grace. And Jesus Christ is the essence of truth and grace. And this gift of grace has been given to every one of us. And so for those of us who are believers, this is why we share our story, is it not? We share our story because we know the truth that's in Romans 3, 23 and 24. We know on the one hand, Romans 1, that everyone is sinful, everyone's turned against God, everyone has committed idolatry. But we also know the truth that God has provided what? Not many ways, not a lot of ways, but he has provided how many? One way to salvation. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one knows the Father except through me. We share the story. We share our story because we know that there is hope. And that hope comes inside of a relationship. Not with Buddha, not with Confucius, not with whatever, but inside of a relationship with this baby born in a manger 2,000 years ago who grew up to be a Jewish carpenter who would give his life for many. You see, we know it. We know that there's one way, Jesus. And so we gladly share that story. But let me show you something else. We share our story because God has called us to share our story. Let me show you something else. Take your Bibles and turn over Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, you come down to verse 9. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. You know this verse. If you've been around the church before, you've heard a preacher like me talk about these verses. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Question, who will be saved? Everyone. Now, everyone who does what? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Everyone who believes, who confesses with their mouths that they're sinners in need of a Savior and believe in their hearts that Jesus is the one who died and rose again and base their lives on that reality. Everyone who believes and lives in, in, in response to the gospel of Christ, everyone who believes will be saved. So, so a couple of things. On the one hand, now watch this. The gospel message is very exclusive, right? Because there's only one way. There's only one way. There's only one way to the Father. It's not through your good works, not through trying to earn your way to heaven. It's not through another religion. There's only one way to the Heavenly Father. It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's one way. It's exclusive. But on the other hand, it's inclusive because who's invited in? Everyone. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? But look what else Paul goes on to say. And this is for you and me who are believers who've already experienced what Paul says in Romans 10, 9 through 13. Look at what he says in 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? You see what Paul's saying. And you can see now why Paul is so passionate about taking this gospel to places like Spain. Because while everyone is invited to a relationship with Jesus, they're not going to experience that relationship unless they hear about Jesus, you see? And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, here's God's plan. God's plan to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ is you. It's me. It's us opening our mouths and sharing our story of how Christ has changed us through the gospel, his life, death, and resurrection. You are God's plan to reach the world, right? I mean, God's plan to reach the world isn't building big facilities and renovating buildings as much fun as that might be. God's plan to reach the world is not great music and a cool-looking preacher like me, as cool as I am, right? God's plan to reach the world is none of that. God's plan to reach the world is people like me and you opening our mouths with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see what I'm saying? That's God's plan. And, and the reality is, and I know this, and I don't want to guilt you this morning, but I want you to know the reality. As you look back over 2018, here's the sad reality. And I don't say this to guilt you. Over 2018, there are some of us in this room who have not one time shared the gospel with anybody. And that's the whole reason why God's left you here. God has left you on this earth to make Christ known, but you've stayed silent all year long. And so as you think about this gospel that God has entrusted you with, this story of how he has changed your life and and this gospel that can change the lives of others, what do you do? Let me give you a few things. One, repent. All across this room this morning, there needs to be some repentance because you know it. You know what God has called you to do and you failed to do it. And again, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I, I, I'm not trying to, uh, to, to, to you know, chastise you. I'm just calling you to take a good look inward. You know, believer, follower of Jesus, you know why God has left you on this earth. That he wants to change somebody else through you being obedient to the call he's placed on your life. And so this morning for you, it might be a time of repentance where you repent of not sharing your faith over this last year and you ask God to change your heart. Repent. But secondly, pray big. I I know in this room you pray. I I get that because all of us have problems and we have problems we pray. But, But let's be honest. How much time have you spent praying big this last year? Praying big for people that you know and love who do not know Jesus. Praying big for our missionaries who are serving across the world. Praying for people like those in the Sentinel or in China or name your country that are lost and without hope in Christ. I'll tell you how I'm going to be praying in 2019. I'm going to be praying big that God would use this church to go far beyond where we've been before. I'm praying big for 2019 that that as you have opportunity to be on the field, as God allows you to go to places like Guatemala or Russia 
or East Asia or wherever else we have plans to go in 2019. As, as some of you, as many of you choose to take a step of faith and go, I'm praying big that God would change your life radically through those experiences and that God would open up your eyes so you can see the desperate condition of this world. And I'm praying big. Parents, listen to me. I'm praying big for your kids. Grandparents, I'm praying big for your grandchildren. I'm praying that from this church, God will raise up a generation of children that will be willing to go all across this world with the gospel. That God will raise up children who, who don't desire to be doctors or lawyers or teachers and all those are good careers and praise God for that. But I'm praying that God will raise up some kids that will be willing to leave the USA behind and go to hard-reach places and give their lives for the sake of the gospel. I'm praying that God will raise up some men in this church with a heart to pastor and plant churches. I'm praying that God would do more through this church than he's ever done before. And I'm praying that God would radically change our lives so that we would be open to whatever the Spirit wants us to do. You see? And I would just ask you to pray big with me. That we would open our hands up and say, God, even that means taking our kids from us and putting them across the world, do it. Even that means that, that some of us will leave this church over the next few years to go start new churches. That will do it. You see what I'm saying? Pray big, but also start local and go global because you know it. You know in your family, those people that you need to reach. You know in your circle of influence, your, your job, those people who need the gospel, start there, but go global. I know it. I know some of you have never thought about getting on a plane and going across the world. But I'm asking that you would pray big, that if God would allow it, that if God would desire it, that you over this next year or the next two years, you would take a huge step of faith and you would go to a hard to reach place for a week or two to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would start local and go global. And finally, I'm praying that you would simply obey. How is God calling you to obey? You know it. You know where it is in your life that you need to obey. Will you? So this morning, as we have a time of invitation, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm simply asking you to obey. I'm asking you to repent because you know where you've fallen short, just like I know where I've fallen short in this area. God has given you a story to share. Don't hold on to your story. And I'm asking this morning that you would ask God to help you be a person who desires to share your story. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't have a story. You've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This Christmas, know the real Christmas gift. That Jesus Christ lived for you, died, and rose again so that you could be forever changed. If you've never placed your faith in him, in just a moment, I'll be down front. And I would love to talk to you about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus, how you can turn from your sins and turn to him. We will have some volunteers out in the lobby area who, who would love to talk to you about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. However, God's leading you to respond before we take the Lord's Supper together. You respond now as he leads. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and for the opportunity opportunity to, to worship, to be challenged by your word. And Father, for those of us in this room who are followers of yours, we know we've fallen short. Now, Father, just lead us to repentance. Open our eyes to the world around us and lead us to walk in obedience to you. Whatever that means, what that looks like, whatever you're calling us to let go of, just help us to obey. 
And for that man or woman who might be here this morning who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, lead that person to come and receive the greatest gift ever, salvation in Jesus Christ. Have your way now, I ask, in Jesus' name, amen. You rise to your feet as we have a time of invitation together. And as the Spirit of God leads you, you come now.